the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey, guys. Bud Elliott here. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. This is my summer school series, and if you hear my voice, I'm basically having my flu game 20 years ago, or 19 years ago, I guess. 19, uh, I don't know. I can't do math right now. That's You know I'm, I'm pretty hard up if I can't do math. I'm, I'm usually the math guy. On cover three. Anyway, uh, today is Iowa, and I can do some math on Iowa and, and count to the number of points they're supposed to score <laughs> per game. And to the, discuss that, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna bring on David Eichel of, of Hawkeye Insider, who's absolutely killing it. Man, I, I like all on Twitter. We got a bunch of people asking for you. Like, wait, when's the Iowa episode? Is, is David gonna come on? And, and here you are. Welcome. Hey, man. Yeah, man. It's good to be joining you again. We've certainly had a couple of fun debates here over the last couple of seasons, and I actually think we'll have a manageable offense to talk about. Unlike last season, there's a lot of storylines with this team, and I'm really, really excited to dive into it with you. I'm excited about this, uh, like legitimately here. Uh, so last year, this was the biggest offensive slash defensive split I've ever seen in Bill Connolly's stuff. <laughs> they were 120th in offense, and number one in defense. So we can quibble with that. Like, would I really take Iowa's defense over Georgia's? Probably not. But, you know, the numbers are, are what the numbers are, and that's a, an enormous split. It, it has to be, like, not that you root for the team, given that you cover them, but it has to be frustrating just to watch them do that same stuff over and over again and squander a defense of that caliber and go 7-5 and five in a regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, especially when you look at how the season ended. I mean, they could have backdoored their way into that Big Ten title game, but, I mean... With a Cooper DeGene injury really, I think, hurt them in that Nebraska game. But Trey Palmer and that, you know, that Trey Palmer offense with uh, Nebraska really made Iowa pay. So I think Iowa's level of frustration, especially given that the offensive coordinator is the son of Kirk Ferentz. I think a lot of people are very pessimistic hanging into this offseason. Once Iowa landed Michigan transfer Cade McNamara, I think it really, really started a domino effect for this team. But I'd be lying to you, bud, if I didn't tell you that the frustrations and the tension is still at an all-time high. I think there's a lot of high expectations with this team. And to go back to your original question, it was 
horrible to watch that offense time after time. You mentioned how they were 120th in offense, but I don't know if there were 11 offenses worse than, than what Iowa put on last year. I mean, I think the all-time low of that Ohio State game was really bad. And then that Nevada game where they only won 27-0, to but there were three lightning delays. I think I left the press box at 4.30 in the morning because it was a night game as well. So very, very frustrating. And uh, I think it was even more frustrating just having the fan base sort of reaction, just being a dead horse time and time again about when's this offense going to change when you really knew there was no immediate way for that offense to change in the middle of the season. So they just kind of had to struggle through it. So I actually also watched that Nevada game. Uh, I was very uh, interested in the outcome of that game. And I, if you told me that, that I was only going to score 27, I would not have felt great. But the, the number w- was so low to lay, and they obviously shut him out. But I, I was worried the game wasn't going to go 55 minutes, and they would cancel it, right? Yeah. And that would be a, a, avoided, a voided wager. So my first question for you on this offense, and, and I am legitimately more excited about this unit this year. I know I had argued with Carl Reed on the 24-7 channel that, how much better can they really be if they didn't use the transfer portal to get a new offensive coordinator? But how did they convince these transfers, other than just we have playing time here and no real competition, to, to come to play for this offense? And how good do you think they can be? Yeah, I, I think you summed it up best. I remember a clip shortly after Cade McNamara committed. You said, Cade McNamara, you have to be stupid to go play in an Iowa offense. And Cade McNamara is not stupid. I mean, talking to him throughout the spring, he's an incredibly intelligent kid. Very, very energetic and has a high level of swagger. And I think that's something that Iowa's offense has really missed from a quarterback position over the past few years. And I'll go back to this. Look, Brian Ferentz, I don't think is a good offensive coordinator. I think every other school in the country would have fired Brian. And obviously there's a lot more tension, I think, within the Iowa program, given Kirk Ferentz as long as tenured head coach and him being the father, yada, yada, yada. But Kirk always is willing to change. It just takes a lot longer for him to realize it and to change. And I think that's been an important tool. Iowa has now utilized the NCAA transfer portal. And I think they landed a home run in Cade McNamara. I think they just promised him, hey, we're going to give you the keys to the offense. This is kind of what we're looking at. And I think from Cade's perspective, one, it gives him a chance to potentially face Michigan in the Big Ten title. And I don't think he'll ever admit it, bud. But you've seen enough of him playing. I think he really, really wants to get back at Michigan to go from captain, you know, a Big Ten championship wing quarterback. I think he wants to prove that he wasn't just a, a game manager for them. He was a very important part of what they did to make that college football playoff run. And then you look at the other transfers Iowa's gotten. Eric All, who I think has very, very high upside, especially if he's healthy. From all indications, I've been told he's 100%. Same thing with Caden McNamara. You look at Caleb Brown, the Ohio State wide receiver, who I think would have had rotational play this upcoming season for the Buckeyes had they not had I think arguably the most stacked wide receiver talent maybe I've ever seen. I think Alabama could rival it from a few years ago. But then you look at the two new offensive linemen, another wide receiver and Seth Anderson. Iowa really did an overhaul in the NCAA transfer portal. And I think it was more so the challenge of getting Cade McNamara and saying, hey, you know, Iowa's NIL is a big factor in this. I think Kirk Ferentz's reputation is a big factor. Still playing the Big Ten was a factor. And once Cade McNamara landed Iowa, it was a domino effect to how the rest of, I think, the portal process played out for Iowa. So Iowa used to have offensive lines that pretty consistently would maul people in the run game. And recently the run game has slipped. And I'm sure part of that is opponents really don't respect the pass game. So they beat you by by outnumbering you at the point of attack. But like I was also not having a ton of offensive linemen drafted highly, at least not none of the numbers they used to over like the last two drafts that they only lose what Jack Plum off last year's line. So they return 
basically everybody is, yeah. as long as my depth chart's correct. Are you expecting a big jump from this group? Yeah, and I think Kirk Ferentz is too. And I think it's a make or break year for George Barnett. And remember, George Barnett's a guy who is very respected in the coaching circle. I think he's done a really nice job of landing high talent, almost blue chip prospects in Iowa's offensive line. But now that it's been the system for a couple of years, it's really, really important for Iowa to get the offensive line going. Now, look, Spencer Petras, Iowa's former quarterback, I don't think he was all of the problem. I think a lot of people threw a lot of, you know, criticism toward his way, and some of it rightfully so. But that offensive line did zero favors, and there were zero perimeter threats to really help Petrus at least maneuver in the pocket. But now you look at Rusty Feth, the Miami, Ohio transfer. I think he's going to play a big factor. I think getting Dijon Parker, the Saginaw Valley State transfer, who was once committed to Virginia but never officially signed, so Iowa continued to recruit him in that first portal opening. He's likely to start an offensive tackle. And I think Logan Jones, Iowa center, is in for a huge breakout year. He's a guy I'm mm. keeping a close eye on. Talk about unrealistic expectations and big-time shoes to fill. I mean, you take over for Tyler Linderbaum, who is one of the Big Ten's best centers, I think, at least since the Kirk Ferentz got there. I think he really, really was unbelievably talented. I think he carried that offensive line as much as a one lineman can, especially from a center position. But Logan Jones, incredibly athletic, incredibly strong. His confidence seems to be going at a much higher rate than it was last year. So I think Kirk Ferentz is very optimistic about it. Now, again, it's sort of shut up and prove it, I think, in all aspects of Iowa's offense. But I can undoubtedly tell you by talking to people within the program, this is the first year, at least in the past two or three years, where Kirk says, all right, we have some depth. We have some talent to work with. Now we have to shut up and make it happen because, but I'm sure we'll touch on this later. This is a make or break year for Iowa football from this standpoint. Divisions are going away. USC, UCLA are joining the Big Ten. USC is really, I think, going to continue to rise. If Iowa's going to win a Big Ten title, at least in the Kirk Ferentz era, it's boom or bust. They have to get it this year. And I think that's also why, you know, Kirk was so aggressive in the NCAA transfer portal. All right. Two questions here. Do they have top 70 talent and can they have a top 70 offense? Top 70 talent, I say yes. On offense. On offense. I think top 70 talent. Will they get okay. there? I don't think so. Because okay. I think at least on paper, Luke Lachey is a guy we haven't touched on. I think Luke Lachey could be a potential top two round pick next year. For as bad as Iowa's offense was last year, Sam Laporta, I was, I think he would have been a little bit more highly touted had he been on a much higher rate offensive team in college football. I think the pros obviously looked past that considering he went number 34 overall. The NFL draft, but Luke Lachey, son of former Ohio State great Jim Lachey, this is a guy who is going to continue to rise. I think in the mock draft rankings, well, he had four touchdowns last season, six foot six, two hundred fifty pounds, very athletic, crisp route runner, and he catches everything. I mean, you look at Cade McNamara and how Iowa really utilizes the tight end position. That's why I look at Eric All. I look at Luke Lachey. But it sounds crazy, but if they get the protection up front, I think that those two could have TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant-type numbers for this Iowa offense. I think that they have that kind of upside. Again, assuming Eric All can stay healthy, Cade McNamara is probably Iowa's best consistent passer that they've had at quarterback since maybe Ricky Stanzi, but Ricky Stanzi is also kind of a risk-it-or-biscuit kind of quarterback. I mean, I remember a game where he had five interceptions against Indiana in the third quarter and then threw three touchdowns in the fourth to lead him to a win. So I think talent-wise, they have a lot of potential. Caleb Johnson at running back could be a breakout player across the country. 5.2 yards per carry last season, 779 yards. 
this is a guy who I think could have 1,100 yards on the ground, six foot one, 220 pounds, built like a pro prospect already. Uh, so talent-wise, yes, but is Brian Ferentz a good enough play caller and offensive coordinator to make all the pieces work? Because I do fully believe that the pieces are there to really it, – it, it sounds so weird just to argue that they can compete, bud, but that's kind of where we're at with the Iowa football offense. Yes, yeah. I mean, if you – I don't, I don't. It's not fair to completely take out the COVID year, but that was not a, a full season. It was a very awkward yeah. season for a, a lot of teams. Um, their last three full seasons of, of college football, their best offense is 86th. Yep. I mean, that's that's kind of a squand, and that's squandering defenses ranked second, sixth, and first. So, obviously, a, a huge question on the mind of anybody <laughs> trying to handicap the Big Ten West race. Uh, but like, if they can just go from objectively terrible to just below average, or or just like kind of bad, but not horrible I, i'm not trying to be condescending here but real yeah. like realistic goals uh then they should still be pretty darn good on defense up front they get both defensive tackles back but they lose wagoner and they lose van ness what what's the level of concern if any uh for that defensive end spot zero i mean okay. i i'll tell you from jay jay neiman kelvin bell and kurt ferentz kurt ferentz says this is probably one of his deepest defensive lines he's had in his tenure i mean you're talking about they could rotate 10 or 11 guys remember they lost lucas van ness on the edge who went 13th overall, the Green Bay Packers. But a guy I will continue to advocate for that did not get any credit last season is Deontay Craig. I mean, he played 130 fewer snaps than Lucas Van Ness, was still second on the team in tackles for loss, had six and a half sacks. He had three tackles for loss in that bowl game win against Kentucky. He is a high-powered, productive machine, explosive first step. Very, very excited to see him sort of break out. They also get Joe Evans back, sixth-year guy, on that edge was a former walk-on linebacker. He has a chance to be top five all time in sacks in Iowa football history with a big year this year. So a lot of space eaters up front, the defensive line, I don't think they're really too worried about. I think Iowa feels very confident in it. The linebacker room will be interesting, but as weird as it sounds, the secondary is where I think there's the most question marks, but a lot of high upside players in that secondary. But as far as defensive tackles and defensive ends, Iowa still feels really, really good about the defense. Phil Parker, Iowa's defensive coordinator, who I will say is probably the most underappreciated and undervalued coordinator in the country. He has said that it's very possible that this defense could be just as good as last year's. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wow, that, that, that would be tremendous, especially since they do lose Jack Campbell first round linebacker one of the best you know zone droppers that, that I think you'll ever see at the college level they, they also lose Benson this guy basically never came off the field and they both play like yeah. 800 something snaps and, and just stayed healthy and, and, and dominated uh, they they go get Nick Jackson from Virginia I'm curious how he's looked 
So he's going to arrive on campus here in a few weeks. Okay. But he he's he's going to be a summer enrollee. But there's it's impossible to replace Jack Campbell. I think he's arguably Iowa's best linebacker in school history. I think he's at least top two or top three. Josie Jewell's probably in that category as well. Pat Anger was really, really good. Larry Station. But Nick Jackson, I mean, you talk about a guy who did a lot with a little. I think he had, what, 113 tackles in 10 games last season. You throw him in with Iowa's you throw him in with Iowa's defensive schemes, which is the defensive line, big-time space eaters, the linebackers come up, make the play. It won't shock me, but if Nick Jackson has 135 or more tackles this upcoming season, I think it's a perfect fit for what Nick Jackson wanted to look for to get the most out of his potential and what Iowa can offer. So I'm very, very eager to see what he can do. But, uh, yeah, that linebacker room, it's impossible to replace Jack Campbell. Seth Benson, I think, was very underappreciated because of how good Jack Campbell was. So if Iowa doesn't feel good about their linebackers, you could see them play a little bit more of the 4-2-5 defense this upcoming season as well. With, with Riley Moss and, and, and you know, Kevon Merriweather gone, you mentioned there's some uncertainty about the secondary. I, I feel like Phil Parker's secondaries are always just so well coached and disciplined. They don't give up big plays. They, they, they tackle well. They they pass off routes in space when, when, when they're playing zone, which is you know pretty frequent. Is there – it's just the unproven nature, or do we not think that they have the dudes? I think they have I think they have the dudes, and I'll, I'll put out my hot take of the season right now. I think Cooper DeGene is going to win next year's Jim Thorpe Award. Ooh, I think okay. I think he is just ready to break out. He started last season at cash, but Iowa feels good enough to play him at either safety spot, either corner spot, or that cash spot. Had five interceptions last season. Had three of them returned for a touchdown. I believe 24-7 Sports ranked him as the number eight most dynamic player in the list that they released a couple of days ago. But Cooper DeGene, it will not shock me if he just has a breakout season. I think right now I was worried about a couple of things. One is going to be the cash position. Sebastian Castro is a fifth-year guy, played really, really well in that bowl game against Kentucky. But they just need to see him continue to have that consistency in that spot. And that third cornerback spot, Iowa lost Terry Roberts, the NCAA transfer portal, who ended up going to Miami. But I believe now he's back in the portal. But Iowa right now is still continuing to look at who's going to step up in that third spot. And Jamari Harris, who had a breakout season in 2021, could step up, missed all of 2022 due to injury. So they need to see if he can continue to be up to speed there. And then you go back in that safety. You mentioned Kayvon Merriweather, who I thought should have been drafted was, I think, a second-team All-American, maybe a first-team All-American, but yeah. CBS Sports. Xavier Wampa is taking over for him. And Xavier Wampa was still part, I think, Iowa's highest-rated defensive back recruit in the Internet era. I know at least the most talented player that Phil Parker's ever had to work with. Had a pick six in that bowl game win against Kentucky. He st- that was his first career start. But five-star guy, six foot two, 220 pounds, incredibly athletic, great vision, was an early enrollee. All the tools are there, bud, but can he maximize that and continue to work toward his potential? Because Kayvon Mayweather may have been limited in a couple of areas, but there was one thing he was always, and that's consistent. He never gave up a big play this past season at Iowa. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Xavier Wampa, knowing him and talking to him and covering his recruitment since high school. He's going to welcome that while shutting out the outside noise. But uh, again, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this Iowa defense if they want to get back to the Big Ten title. No doubt about it. Uh, David, where, where would you say is the, the largest drop-off on this team from starters to backups? Like, where, where do they have, other than quarterback, because pretty much everybody's going to say that, like where, where do they have to stay healthy because the backups really just can't play? Wide receiver, okay. without a doubt. I mean, you look at the wide receiver room for Iowa, I think there's a couple of proven guys 
Nico Regani, who's back for his sixth year. He's a very consistent slot guy for Iowa. Caleb Brown, and it's so wild, bud, that, you know, people are talking about Caleb Brown breaking out for Iowa. Iowa fans are over the moon about it. But we're talking about a guy that's played 27 college football snaps and has one catch for, I think, five yards, which ironically came against Iowa during Ohio State's blowout win. But Iowa has just not had a wide receiver of his upside. I mean, from explosiveness to route running and versatility, played a lot of running back in high school. So you have a couple of good guys up front. I think Deontay Vines could be in for a big season as well. But then you have that drop off. Seth Anderson has not played at the at the power five level yet. Was a very, very good wide receiver for Charleston Southern before transferring to Iowa. Son of former NFL wide receiver Flipper Anderson, who has the most receiving yards in a single game in NFL history. So it, it will be interesting there. But behind that, bud, there's just a lot of walk-ons. And Iowa has to stay healthy at that wide receiver spot. And I Iowa fans have been advocating for this to happen. It's never going to happen in a billion years, but they want Cooper DeGene to play some wide receiver just because he's so versatile and he's so explosive. But I think he's far too valuable in that defensive back room and as, and as a punt returner to be able to do that. But the largest drop off without a doubt, it, it's, it's gotta be wide receiver. I mean, look, Travis Hunter's doing it at Colorado. So yeah, uh, who, who knows? <laughs> I, I look at this schedule and, and I see a lot of, uh, opportunity for this defense to just really eat right i mean utah state yeah. iowa state western michigan i think penn state will be good on offense and that's the whiteout game that's difficult like michigan yep. state purdue at wisconsin really not sure how well the dairy raid will look this year uh, you know minnesota northwestern rutgers illinois nebraska they could go the entire season and play one team uh that has a top 25 caliber offense it, it really could be another yeah. situation where this defense just dominates yeah, and that whiteout game, I think, has changed the trajectory of where Iowa's potential is this season. Last time Iowa played in that whiteout game was when Adrian Claiborne blocked the punt or turned it for a mm-hmm. touchdown on national TV before Ricky Stanzi got hurt in that game against Northwestern, which arguably cost Iowa a Big Ten title that year. So painful memory for Hawkeye fans there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think this defense statistically can stack up. Now it's for a variety of reasons. I think there's a lot of talent there. I don't. I think the schedule is, I don't want to say a cakewalk, bud, but... They don't. They don't play Ohio State. They don't play Michigan. If they it's get not, to the it's Big not a top title, half schedule in the country. No, by, not by my close. I mean, no, it's, and it's, I have in like the seventies. Yeah, and I think the thing is too, which is where I catch a lot of heat for, because I've continually said since the season ended, Iowa should be expected to win the Big Ten West. I think it's a failure of a season if they don't. I'm not going to go Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo and sit here and say it's a process. No, it's a failure if Iowa doesn't win the Big Ten West. And I think Wisconsin under Luke Fickle has such high upside. I think he's going to turn that into a perennial Big Ten contender year in, year out. But with all of the first-year head coaches in the Big Ten West, with Iowa's experience returning, with Kirk Ferentz still being there, like Iowa should, Iowa fans should expect double-digit wins. They should expect to go to the Big Ten title game. And I think Kirk knows that this is his last real opportunity to win a Big Ten title. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. That defense will be a lot of fun. The special teams, I don't think, will have to carry as much as it has in years past. But I also think the special teams units feel incredibly good about where they're at right now, too. All right. Do they get the 25 points a game? <laughs> I was, I, I know I'm surprised, but I thought you were going to ring this one on a little bit earlier. Now, here's why I will say about that. I think they will. But you mentioned how Iowa's highest rate offense was, what, 86th? I think well thought, last full like full season because in that COVID season. year they, they got all the way up to like 57th, which is I mean that's <laughs> now that's now it's kind of, of funny that you're measuring points versus yards, right? 
But if Iowa would have, would have 25 points a game this past season, that would have been good for 85th in the country because there were 85 teams that hit that mark. So Iowa's expectations right now are be below average. But another aspect of this, bud, I think there's more pressure on Iowa to do even better than that because think about this. Gary Bard has done August 1st. Yeah. I was looking at a new athletic director. I don't think the athletic director, the new one, is going to bend the knee as much as, as Gary Barta did. Um, so is, it's going to be is interesting. Is Kirk Ferris really not going to pick the new AD? Like, like I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend to be you know, sure. tapped into Iowa's power structure. But at some schools, like, like Bama's not hiring an AD that Nick Saban doesn't want, right? Like, we know who's going to call the shots at certain schools. It, it seems to me like, like Ferris has to be one of the longest tenures, or maybe the longest tenured head coach in, in Power 5. So I, is he really not the guy that's going to pick this AD? I think he'll have a say. I don't think it's going to be the number one overriding factor. But with that being said, but Gary Barta was the face of Iowa Athletics, but Kirk was the one running it behind the scenes. We all know that. And But again, I think you also look at this as this is the upcoming athletic director is going to be the most important hire in Iowa Athletics history because they're going to be hiring Kirk Ferentz's potential replacement. They're going to be hiring Fran McCaffrey's replacement for basketball, Lisa Bluter for women's basketball. And Iowa's had four, five athletic directors in the last 100 years. They've had four sports information directors. For a fan base that's so used to consistency, bud, they're about to get very, very uncomfortable with what's kind of ahead, especially with NIL and the transfer portal and all the changing of the coaches. So if I'm on the Board of Regents, if I'm new Iowa President Barbara Wilson, I run it by Kirk Ferentz. I don't give him the final say. I think it's too important a bit higher just from an athletic standpoint to really give him anything more than just, hey, yeah, I, I approve or no, I disapprove. Well, either way, we're still going to make the decision what's best for Iowa. But uh, to get back to your other point, bud, yeah, they'll hit 25 points a game. I do think that was a mistake not making it offensive points just because of how yeah. many points the defense and special team scores. That's a great point. David Eichold, Hawkeye Insider, you guys know he brings the best eye information out there. Really appreciate you joining us. Hey, thanks, bud. Always good talking to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, Bud Elliott here. Welcome back to the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. And today, we're going to do a little summer school. Texas A&M with Carter Carls, Gigum 24-7. Carter, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bud. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, man. So, interesting year last year. Fun time to drop in on, on the beat. Uh, five and seven, which is kind of shocking, to be honest. Did play, like the power ratings say they played at the top 35 level. Opponent adjustments playing the SEC plus Miami doing a lot of work there. Schedule was top 10 by a lot of people's standards, including mine. Uh, a weird year. Like they lost to that zombie Auburn team. And then they, I guess they got <laughs> sick against Florida and, and, and lost to Florida. And yet they, they pretty soundly beat like an LSU team to, to you know, get to that fifth win. I, what do you make of what happened last year? Yeah, that, that really was a crazy year. I think really what it boils down to, uh, I mean, it boils down to a lot of things, but 
quarterback play injuries had, had a big role in that. I don't think they felt comfortable about quarterback really until that Ole Miss game where Connor Wigman comes in and, and kind of lights it up. But but really, that was kind of a, a one-game deal until LSU. Then you then you saw, okay, well, this guy actually may have something. This guy actually may be deserving of that five-star rating he got as a recruit. But before that, you know, it's really been a two-year drought at quarterback for them with cycling through Haynes King and Zach Calzada and Max Johnson. They just really didn't have an answer there. They had a lot of injuries at the position. Uh, their offensive line play was really poor as well. You know, you got all these skilled guys, you got all these five stars everywhere, but if you don't have good quarterback play or good offensive line play, it's not going to be very good. So I think that really limited their offense, not to mention tons of tons of problems offensively. I think they just uh, couldn't kind of figure it out against these lower opponents, and they got up for the big games. You know, they got up against Bama, Ole Miss, LSU, but – when it came to the Auburns of the world, the South Carolinas of the world, they looked like a completely different team. So kind of played up to their competition, kind of played down, also couldn't defend the run very well, and that showed up in, in some of those games as well. But, yeah, lots of problems. Uh, they, they've addressed some of them, but, yeah, it, it was not great. So they bring in Bobby Petrino, who has a better offensive track record – I guess for the most part than Jimbo does. Jimbo does have like the highest scoring offense in college ball history in 2013. He also had every every starter on that team drafted. So you know, it, a lot of it had to do, I think, with talent acquisition there. Do you think that that Jimbo Fisher is going to let Bobby Petrino run his offense the way that he wants to run it? For now. <laughs> okay. That, that's kind of my answer is for now, I think he will. He has kind of given him the reins this offseason as far as recruiting decisions, transfer decisions. Uh, really, when you talk to these recruits, these transfers, Bobby Petrino is very, very involved in a lot of decisions, coaching personnel decisions. So I think that kind of is a good sign. He's been a little hesitant to openly just say it as, as clear as day, hey, I'm not doing play calling anymore. But he has indicated that uh, a, little, a little begrudgingly. So I think he'll start off, Bobby Petrino calling the plays. My biggest question is, what happens if things go wrong? You know, game four, game five, you get to Arkansas and you have three points at halftime. Like, is that going to change? Will, will Jimbo be willing to say, hey, you know, you see it all the time in the NFL and college. People give up play calling, and then when things go wrong, they take it back. And so that's my biggest question. Uh, things go wrong. How will that change? It was basically the Gus Malzahn plan, right? In, in an odd-numbered year, he'd call the plays. In an even-numbered year, the boosters would get mad. He'd be like, oh, this guy's the play caller this year. And then by, by Halloween, he'd, he'd take it back anyway. You mentioned Connor Wegman, freshman quarterback. Last year on the positive side, he didn't throw any interceptions, which is huge. Part of that might be because he really didn't take very many chances. A 37% success rate is just as bad as like a Virginia or Virginia Tech or, or a West Virginia or, or some of those just objectively horrible uh, passing offenses. Is it safe to assume that he is going to be the starter? And if so, are, are you expecting a big-time jump? I think he has to be the starter. I, I think those Ole Miss and LSU games showed you what he can do. I, I think some of those numbers are skewed with, with the Auburn game and, and the UMass game. and They, they had like games where they had suspensions, they had receivers that were out. You, you talk about the Moose Muhammad game where 
he didn't play because he didn't he was wearing sleeves on his uh on his arms and and that was a rule on the team if you wear sleeves you can't play uh so that, that was another reason but uh i think he's shown that he can make those throws down the field it's just having the time to do that and and having the scheme to do that uh and i think you know maybe having a more healthy offensive line can help but this guy really does have a lot of playmakers uh, when you project where a guy like Evan Stewart could be next year. Mentioned Moose Muhammad. Uh, Donovan Green, I think, could make a big jump at tight end uh, next season. So I think he does make that jump. Um, I, I do think that, like, can he be a top 15 quarterback in college football? Can he be a top three in SEC? I don't know if he's there yet. I still think there's so many questions to answer with this offense. But he can he can definitely be better than what they had the last couple of years, and uh, that might be enough to win you seven and eight games. Devin A. Chain last year, pretty important to that offense. Two hundred forty-five touches on on offense, and plus whatever he has on special teams. Who do you project to replace those carries, and and what sort of drop off, if any, uh, do you project? I think they're going to have a running back by committee. They really have three guys in there with uh, Le'Veon Moss, Amari Daniels, and the, the true freshman, Ruben Owens, who was a five-star recruit. Uh, I think it's going to be those three guys. They've, they've added a couple transfers, like David Bailey, who got a lot of time at Boston College, was at Colorado State most recently. But I think it really mostly will be those three guys. They, they kind of bit, bring a, a little bit of a different uh, skill set. Amari Daniels is kind of more your home run hitter. Le'Veon Moss is kind of your guy that'll fight for the extra yard, fall forward, and and, and can get you those five, six-yard runs. Uh, and Ruben Owens is someone who, and I think this guy could really be special. He's got great vision, uh, great acceleration, really all the things you look for in a running back. So it could be one of those things where Moss and Daniels are your 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 main guys uh, getting the season. And then I think Owens, as the season progresses as a true freshman, could uh, overtake that role. So uh, he's one to watch for sure. I think he is the future of that room. But Jimbo Fisher is also very high on Le'Veon Moss, so he's also one to watch for sure. Does this receiver room have a potential to be sneakily really good? Like Nia Smith coming back healthy, Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad – I don't know, man. You can get in trouble dreaming on Texas A&M, but if if it works, it's because these guys are good, right? Like this is the path. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, this is this is the group that I mean, the D line's pretty talented too. But wide receiver, I might be most confident in that position in terms of production because uh, this is the the crazy thing. Noah Thomas, a guy that doesn't get talked about as much as Moose Muhammad, Anaya Smith, Evan Stewart. He's the guy that won MVP of the spring. For AM. They think that guy could be one of their best playmakers uh, this season. I think they've got four guys that they really feel good about at wide receiver. I think Evan Stewart, you know, I've seen these these lists of rank the top 10, rank the top 15 receivers, college football. I think he should be in that top group. I don't know top 10, that, that might be too much for now. He's got to kind of prove it, but I really do think he can be in that group this season. Moose Muhammad, I think, is another guy who could eventually be a middle-round pick. Noah Thomas uh, is a guy, a bigger receiver, that I think will be special. So, yeah, I think 
that group, I think, is very solid. I mentioned Donovan Green as well. I think he's the alpha of that tight end group. So I think that's the strength of the team for sure. So you would include tight end as a strength or just kind of overall pass catchers as a strength? I was curious about tight end. Pass catchers, you know, I, I don't feel amazing about the, the depth. I mean, they, they like how they all fill a different niche. Like Max Wright's a six-year guy. Not going to catch a lot of passes, but a, a decent blocking tight end. Jake Johnson and, and the Sweden guy, Theo Mellon-Olstrom, they're both guys that could be good maybe a year or two down the road. But what I've seen in the spring so far, I'm not quite sold on them yet. But Donovan Green's the one guy that, that really did stand out to me. He had 200, 300 yards last year as a true freshman. Uh, I think this is a year where he can get in maybe that 500 receiving yard range if, if things go well for him. So I think he can be a pretty productive guy for sure. None of this works unless the offensive line gets a whole lot better. Uh, last year, they were actually dead last in the nation in pressure rate allowed, which is tough to do, but again, a tough schedule. And they did deal with a decent number of injuries. They also lost a really good offensive line coach and replaced him with Steve Adazio, which I'm not going to ask you to comment on a guy you have to cover like this, but it kind of shocked me personally the way that things ended at Colorado State, that that would be who they chose to to bring in, given the kind of player mutiny thing they had going on there. Uh, is this a coaching thing? Is it just an injury thing? Because everybody who played last year basically is back. Uh, what kind of jump are you expecting here, if if any? Yeah, this is the group I'm the least confident in on the whole team, for sure. Uh, it's injuries, it's talent, it's coaching. Uh, I don't feel good about a lot with the group. I think the thing that they can sell is that they feel good about starters. The depth I'm very concerned about, especially at offensive tackle. You know, they're, they're starters just kind of projecting the group. Trey Zoon at left tackle, Ruben Fathery, right tackle. Then the guards, you, you got Blade Robinson right, Cam Dewberry left, center, Bryce Foster. Uh, at offensive tackle, if one of those guys goes down, they'll probably be putting in a, a true freshman in there, Chase Passants. And uh, I think he's a, going to be a pretty good player, but asking a true freshman in the SEC to deliver at offensive tackle, it's a, it's a big ask. Uh, and you just don't really have a lot of great guys to, to feel about. And as you know, transfer portal, it's hard to find those offensive tackles. They couldn't find any of them in there so yeah they're going to kind of rely on a lot of unproven guys if there are injuries and there have been a lot of injuries with this group over the last couple of years you know that 2020 offensive line was probably top three in in college football uh since then it's taken a real nosedive and uh i just i think they've got a lot of guys who you know they got the kind of offensive line maybe of of old where it's a lot of big guys a a lot of strength there but not a lot of, of quickness and not a lot of, you know, athleticism. So I just, you know, like the depth concerns, the injuries and the coaching, everything about it, I, I, I'm feeling a little weird about. So, yeah. One of the, question, one of the questions that we ask here is, uh, wh- where's the biggest drop-off between starters and backups? And I feel like you just answered that. So <laughs> we, we'll skip one of those answers on, on, on the end. Uh, so they, they lose Mike Elko last year. And DJ Durkin comes in from Old Miss. I personally thought it was going to be a downgrade, but they turned in a top 20 defense despite you know some defensive injuries. This is the unit that basically carried the team. And now the defensive line returns, 
unless I'm missing somebody, everybody who played at least 100 snaps is is back. Like this is potentially a really great D line, right? Oh yeah, feel feel very good about this defensive line. I think it's a year Walter Nolan takes a big job. We saw him in the, the spring game make make a few big flash plays. Uh, McKinley Jackson's a guy that's been around for a long time. And really, I mean, that 2022 class, everyone laughs. Like, my gosh, all those defensive linemen. But, you know, it's a numbers game. You expect a couple, few of those to pop. And I think you, know, you mentioned Walter Nolan. Uh, you know, Shamar Stewart's another guy from the 2021 class. Uh, Shamar Turner, I think, is someone who could take a big jump. Uh, really, the, the I think the biggest uh, difference that we want to see in this group is – more sack production. They they did struggle to to generate a lot of sacks. Um, this defense also did struggle against the run, uh, which I think speaks a little bit more of the, the linebacking play. But uh, yeah, those are two areas of growth that that they'll need to make, and I think they will with with this talented group and the depth that they have. I was going to ask you about that. So Durkin is pretty notorious for not wanting to blitz. Going back to his time, even at Maryland and, and certainly at Ole Miss, they just did not blitz. They played a lot of kind of three down limit explosive plays try to win in the red zone which is a formula a lot of teams use success i'm I'm not going to knock it but you do need somebody to get some edge pressure and i i look at this depth chart like i love all these guys they have that are 285 plus where are the edge rushers is there somebody you have a lot of confidence in to to step up and be that edge pressure guy that's a good point a lot of 270 280 pound guys who are monstrous you look at them and and you, you go to practice you're like Wow, that guy is an athlete, but getting around the edge, closing on the sack, Shamar Turner won where he, you know, got a ton of pressures last year, but he had 0.5 sacks, you know? So he's someone that you look at, you say, hey, he looked a step quicker this spring. Maybe he could be the guy. Uh, he's on the defensive line, so it can be a little bit of a challenge when he's playing D-tackle and, and D-end. And, and then two other guys that I would mention who aren't starters, but they're guys that will get some playing time, Unai White and Malik Sia. They're, they're two guys that you can, you can – they're not going to have their, their hand down all the time. They can, you know, they can use them kind of as that like outside linebacker type where they can blitz off the edge. Uh, so I think those are two guys that they could use creatively. Uh, yeah, the three-down lineman, that, that's like the biggest uh, – if you mention three-down lineman to any A&M fan, they will, uh, they'll freak out. So they want to see less of that this year, hopefully defend the run better. But, like, if you have three big bodies that you can play some, some good three-down stuff, they, they, they can eat gaps. And, and, I mean, most teams don't have three really good, you know, 280-plus type bodies. If A&M does, I, I don't think it's crazy to play that. But, you know, I, sure. I understand. I guess people equate it. A lot of it comes down to how much do you want to blitz from a three down, right? Like like Durkin doesn't want, doesn't want to blitz. There are some guys that play three down and and bring the house certainly. Uh, if A and M was a an NFL team, they would be trading one of these big defensive tackles for some linebacker help, perhaps. I, these numbers yeah. just aren't good. Like, is it going to be the veterans stepping up? Is there a young guys ready to to break out? What what do you see here? Because I'm I'm a little sketch on this, I guess. Yeah, probably the big, biggest question on defense corner. You have some questions with depth, but linebacker, when we talk about starters, definitely has the, the biggest question. Uh, they did bring in a guy from Jackson State, 
and Juriente Davis, J.D. Davis, who they think they could use a little creatively. Cooper and, and Chris Russell are two guys that have played a lot of snaps, do have a lot of experience. I think the hope with them is, hey, all the guys around them are pretty good, so maybe that uh, relieves some of the, the pressure off of them. Uh, but, yeah, they definitely need to, to make that jump this season because they left a lot, of, a lot to be desired last year. Interesting that you said, you know, corner was kind of a minor concern here because they, they lose Jalen Jones, they lose Denver Harris, and they also lost Antonio Johnson at secondary. It sounds like you have some confidence that, that the guys stepping up to take their places should be pretty good. Who, who do you like there? Yeah, outside, you got Tyreek Chappelle, who I think he could be an all-SEC caliber cornerback, a pretty good player. Tony Grimes, uh, they brought in from North Carolina, former five-star recruit, was a guy that's played probably around 30 games at, at North Carolina. A uh, lot of experience. I think he was all ACC two years ago, second team. So he's someone that can play at a pretty good level. If he's your number two cornerback, feel pretty solid there. Uh, at nickel, uh, Bryce Anderson uh, is someone that I think could be the best defensive back on this team. Uh, he's someone I think will be playing on Sundays in the future. And behind him, they brought in a guy that has played a lot of football and Josh DeBerry from Boston College. OBC, yeah. Uh, yeah, three-team All-ACC guy. Um, he's someone that like was playing on such a bad team that it, it, it's hard to understand just how good he was. But, hey, three-time All-ACC, and he might be your backup. Uh, that's pretty strong. But he's also someone who's pretty versatile, that can bring him in for dime packages, that can put him outside, inside. He's been a little bit more a lot better at uh, nickel. Um, and I think it's going to be hard for him to win that starting job over Bryce Anderson. I'm telling you, Bryce Anderson is going to be really special. But Josh DeBerry, it, it, to have him as at least a backup, I think it's going to make that group really strong. Carter Carl playing that flag for Bryce Anderson, giving us the scoop on Texas a and Really appreciate you joining us here on Summer School. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, bud.